able to hear my conversation with our fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. We talk all about the U.S. monetary policy, when we can expect tapering from the Fed and the rate cuts. We also talk about the Bank of Canada, their posturing, as well as his view on China. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm back for my bi-weekly conversation with Dustin Reed. Dustin, the last conversation we had, uh, we talked a lot about the upcoming Jackson Hole Conference. Uh, it was virtual again this year. Uh, what did you learn from uh, Jackson Hole and, and uh, did it meet your expectations? Yeah, for sure. Thanks very much. Um, I, the Jackson Hole Conference was, I would say, a little bit more subdued than uh, maybe people thought going in three or four weeks ahead of time. Uh, a couple of weeks ahead of the conference, they uh, maybe even a week actually ahead of the conference, they ended up going virtual as opposed to uh, in-person or hybrid, um, right. which may be a, uh, a sign of things to come for all of us, but uh, but that's the way they did it. So I think, you know, just, just in fact, by doing that, it, it kind of, you know, downshifted a little bit in terms of the, uh, you know, the importance. I, I think, you know, we got out, we got out of it what I, I generally expected to get out of it, at least particularly from the Fed perspective, which was, uh, you know the Fed's going to move the ball uh, forward a little bit uh, in terms of tapering and not and not move it backwards, um, but we're not going to we're not going to get any big announcement. I mean, clearly, I think if we wound back to podcasts uh, and 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 my own discussions with uh, you know internal and external back from May, maybe even June, uh, you know I would have thought Jackson Hole and probably said Jackson Hole would have been a bigger deal. But clearly, the economy's you know evolved in a way um, that. Made Jackson Hole not necessarily uh, a, a significant a significant event, and I think that uh, you know we saw a lot of um, we saw a lot of Fed uh, participants over the summer in July and August talking about additional meetings, a plural necessary. Um, Jackson Hole, you know, as we said here before, is not a sanctioned FOMC event. Uh, it's put on by the Kansas City Fed. And uh, people wanted to see more data, particularly out of the uh, the labor market side, and mm-hmm. um, and see a few more employment reports. And so I think you know that all kind of combined to make Jackson Hole a bit less uh, a bit less of an event than, than maybe people would have thought you know eight or twelve weeks ago. Nevertheless, you know I don't want to totally dismiss it. it. It did it did keep the discussion going, and uh, and I do think that uh, you know we are on track to see something later this year. And in the uh, the reason that it was more subdued is that primarily or exclusively because of the uncertainty uh, surrounding the labor market, or is is it the Delta variant, or is it connected? And what 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 made it more subdued or pushed back the the Fed timeline? Yeah, I think it's I think it's both of those things, and I would throw in and what I think is an evolving. Um, attempt to try and understand what's happening on the inflation side to how transitory is it? Um, you know, and all those three things are, are complicated, uh, you know, to be on their own, frankly. And when you kind of put them all in the same melting pot, I think it's, I think it makes the feds job and all of our jobs really that are trying to call markets and run portfolios, uh, you know, challenging, uh, clearly Delta has been, um, probably a bit more severe than I think a lot of people thought, uh, right. It would be uh, in you know if you had that conversation in June or early July, and um, 
you know, the labor the labor market story is you know is at least in the U.S. is constructive to be sure, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. It's definitely not the million jobs for the next few months uh, that Powell had talked about. Um, I, I might be slightly off, but uh, in Q2, I think it was in the uh, the May uh, the May FOMC, um, the meeting before the June FOMC. Um, you know that had that hasn't come to fruition. But at the same time, again, it has it has been constructive. But you know, there's 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 a market, so to speak, on just you know how constructive it is, and uh, obviously people see the same data in different lights. And sometimes people, um, you know, slice the same or, or, or different parts of the data in different ways and see different things. And, uh, you know, you have a lot of people on, on the fed, uh, both, you know, both voters and non-voters, uh, people in DC and district presidents, Hawks and doves and, sure. uh, people with different kind of economic backgrounds. And, uh, you know, and by that, I mean, you know, kind of monetary or, 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 you know, monetary or, uh, maybe more Keynesian or otherwise, and uh, people people put different emphasis on different things, and uh, that's what makes uh, that's what makes a market, obviously, and that's what uh, makes the discussion coming out of the Fed sometimes challenging at times. But um, you know, so I think that's why we're you know that that's why it's a little more it's been a little bit slower to kind of get to where uh, the Fed is thinking and get and get a decision, and and partially why Jackson Hole ended up being a bit more of a uh, you know a, a bit of a non, a bit more of a non-event, although I wouldn't right. want to necessarily say it was a zero. Right. So I guess the the question that comes from this is when do you expect the event to be? When do we when would you expect to get a sort of a robust tapering announcement or schedule? Um, you know, what what meeting are you focused on now? Right. So the next meeting for the Fed is um, is the September FOMC on, on the 22nd. And uh, again, I would expect the uh, the proverbial ball to get moved forward there. I think the discussion will be evolving and uh you know, it'll move forward as opposed to stay neutral or move back. I mean, clearly uh, Delta is is an issue, but I don't think it necessarily precludes the Fed from moving uh, moving forward in terms of its tapering discussion. The next, there's only two meetings after the September meeting. There's one in November, which is not a forecast meeting. And there's one in December, which is the, the forecast meeting and the final meeting of the year. Um, I, I would I would say that right now I, I would be at the the November meeting for a uh, an announcement with tapering to start either at the end of this year or uh, or in January. And again, I think the um, the pivot uh, is less around timing because there's really nothing that interesting or non-consensus of what I just said in terms of the timing. I think the sure. the next evolution of the discussion really is around um, the size of the tapering and you know how quickly really. So is it you know ten to kind of bookend it is it 10 billion at 12 months uh or is it you know 20 billion at six months and is it linear is it not uh or is it somewhere between you know one of those two bookends really which is probably the answer um so i think that you know that's probably the next the next evolution of the discussion um but that's what i think is going to happen but I, i do think that uh the the September FOMC meeting is interesting in particular. Um, obviously, the tapering discussion is important, uh, a very important variable here. But I do think kind of like going into June uh, FOMC, where we saw a big flattener uh, happen after um, in, in the rate space, I, I think there's a risk of that happening again, because I think that, um, again, like June, where the dots were really Ended up being the centerpiece of what people took away, even though it was a um, 
you know, it's a forecast meeting, obviously, and Powell has press conferences, he always does, and there's always the formal statement, of course. Um, I feel like the dots could, uh, particularly the, the the Fed the Fed outlook dots, uh, the Fed funds dots could uh, monopolize the uh, the market reaction here, almost almost irregardless uh, to a point of what um, of what Powell says, and particularly by that I mean that um, you know we had in June we saw uh, seven uh, seven participants expect uh, at least twenty five basis points in terms of hiking in 2022, and that was up from right. four basis points in March. I think that we could get the median dot to uh, to uh, suggest that there is a, uh, you know, a, a, the balance of opinion is that there will be a, a at least a, a 25 basis point move in, uh, in 2022, which I think would be a bit of a, I don't want to say it's a shocker for markets, but I think it would be a bit of an eye opener. And, you know, and if that happens, I think you're obviously, maybe not obviously, but I think you're going to potentially have the dots move higher in 2023. And then in September, as is traditionally the case, they include the, 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 the next, the next year in the forecast round. So they'll publish the 2024 dots for the first right. time, you know, the new out year, so to speak. And I think that those will be, uh, you know, we're going to see a good chunk of a hiking cycle in front of our eyes, and it'll be very close, I think, to where a lot of people expect the long run neutral rate or our star is. So it'll be kind of in front of in front of people on a page is going to be the, the, a good chunk of a uh, of a rate hike cycle, and I think that that could uh, you know get people a little bit concerned that the you know how, how quickly is the Fed moving? At, you know, when people are in the process of paring down Q3 GDP forecasts as we speak. And I think you've got a couple other things happening tangentially. You've got uh, a core PCE forecast that's likely to be higher for 2021. I mean, that has to kind of, from an accountant perspective, accounting perspective, move higher because it's it's been badly missed by the Fed. Right. Um, so that has to that has to come up, and I think 22 will have to come up as well. And then you could have uh, a dissenter uh, in. Uh, at, you know, in the formal statement uh, at on the uh, you know on on September twenty second, and um, you know and, and to be you know dissenting in in terms of wanting to see a more hawkish or a more aggressive removal of accommodation, which has been the case by some of the people um, over the summer. So I'm just I'm sitting here and thinking, and not just today, but you know we talk about it on the team, obviously, but. You know, what does it look like if that comes correct? If you've got kind of that uh, upstage in, in uh, or upswing in, in the dots, particularly 22 is now the base case. Uh, you've got a dissent in the formal statement looking for more hawkishness and you've got, uh, or at least a bigger removal of accommodation or quicker removal of accommodation. And you've got uh, another large uh, increase higher in, uh, in core PCE. And I just think that uh, I think there's a lot of event risk around that. So um, the idea of uh, of a flattener, which isn't you know, which isn't rocket science, because that's exactly what happened after the June FOMC. Sure. But but looking for that, at least from an event risk perspective, not forever, not for quarters, but you know, just tailoring uh, tailoring portfolios and doing um, you know some sort of tactical alpha around that is interesting. Um, you know, as are long dollar positions. So um, anyway, that's that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, Kind of for the next the next few months with respect to tapering and then a little more specifics on uh, on the September FOMC. That's that's great. So it sounds like you're you're um, 
at least the the Fed is projecting, and it sounds like you, you agree with this idea that the tapering and the rate hikes are fairly coupled together. Uh, once you get through the the tapering, you get onto the rate hikes. Curious just to confirm if that's how you, how you view things. And then also maybe to turn your attention to, to Canada, um, where tapering has already begun. Um, and, uh, and do you feel like the rate hikes are uh, equally as linked uh, in Canada, or is it somewhat different? So on the first part of that, I think um, I think this Fed under this chair uh, really wants to have a little bit of space between tapering and rate hikes. And I actually think that the chair, Powell, has gone out of his way to try and draw a bit of a, a bit of a line between um, uh, the end of tapering and rate hikes, and that it's not uh, on an on a preset course or or automatic pilot. You know, and I think a lot of that can be seen, I mean, not only in kind of the language that he uses to that effect, but also this idea around, and it sounds very academic, but I think it's important, uh, outcome-based forward guidance, which basically means that, uh, sh- show me the money. Uh, show me right. that, show me that the economy has progressed to X on the labor market and Y on uh, the inflation side. So we're hitting our dual mandate and now we will move rates as opposed to a previous era in the Fed, which was not long ago at all, where, oh, okay, we think that the uh, labor market's going to look like this in, I don't know, nine months, you know, nine or uh, three or four quarters. And the same in the inflation, uh, you know, in three or four, this is what we think it will look like in inflation in three or four quarters. So we're going to move now and anticipate right. uh, that, you know, that move. And so that's what I mean by outcome-based forward guidance. We want to actually see it happen and, and see it in the data and experience it happen. And, and that may mean that the Fed will go, it'll be kind of a, uh, you know, kind of like a bang, bang play, right? It'll, okay, the end of tapering happens and, oh, wow, the economy is there. Okay, we're going to hike. Uh, but it may also mean that if the economy is not there and it hasn't been proven yet or it hasn't actually come to fruition, then uh, the Fed may wait. So, you know, not to not to skirt the question at all, but, uh, you know, it's a bit, it, it is it is dependent on the data. But it's important to kind of put yourself, I think, in how in the shoes that I think or at least the, the you know, the lens that the that the Fed is thinking. And I think that's I think that's how the Fed's reaction function is going to be for this part of the cycle, particularly. Again, that um, you know the implicit assumption there is that that rate high is twenty five basis points and not fifty or more, um, and you would have to go further out to get a fifty basis point hike. And and I and I do think, depending on how the inflation side plays out here in the next year, a year and a half, that um, you know a fifty basis point hike to start the uh, to start the cycle and maybe even beyond is uh, is very possible. And I think that uh, that's very underappreciated by the market. On the second part of your question with respect to um, Canada and rates, uh, the bankers acceptance futures, which is kind of the, the Canada equivalent for Fed funds or, or Euro dollars, but the bankers acceptance futures uh, here uh, still continues to price, you know, the first hike, quote unquote, again, that being a 25 and not a 50 uh, by mid, call it June of 2022. And I think that's I think that's a bit early. Um, 
and we've kind of been on that on that page for a while. I just uh, I just don't think that the bank is going to be quite that aggressive for a few reasons. One, I don't think the inflation story is as concerning here domestically as it is the U.S. I mean, we're quite a bit below the run rate of where the U.S. is. That could obviously change, but I, I personally don't see that. Um, secondly, I think that the bank wants to um, not necessarily, I mean, we're, we're relatively small, not tiny, but we're, you know, we are a somewhat small export driven economy. Uh, when the dollar, the Canadian dollar appreciates, it, it has an impact. Mm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that uh, the bank wants to have that second derivative feed through there quite yet in what's going to be still a very early stages from a very challenging you know, societal and economic environment. Clearly, the housing story is going to be interesting. We will see what happens with the election and what gets, you know, you can talk about whatever you want, but uh, another thing is actually getting it, you know, passed sure. from a from legislation <laughs> perspective, sure. uh, as we talked a lot about in the U.S. side, but it all happens here too. And, um, you know, we'll see if there are macro prudential measures that are put in um, to try and slow you know, the, the housing market here, particularly in, uh, you know, some, some pockets across the country. Um, but in this country, and I spent a lot of time in the States having lived there for a while, um, you know, it's very different from a mortgage perspective, right? It's very, at least now kind of after the GFC bust and, um, you know, what happened with, uh, with variable or adjustable rate mortgages kind of going into 2007, eight, nine, um, you know, it's a lot more about 30 year fixed mortgages in the U S a lot of people have 30 year fixed mortgages. I did when I was in the U S, um, at, on my home right. and, um, you know, the market, I say all that because, you know, five year fixed here is generally the standard if you're getting a fixed rate mortgage and that obviously resets, um, a, a lot more frequently. And, you know, if you're, if you're adjusting at higher rates, then that's going to have an impact and, and maybe that impact is wanted. Maybe it's not. And even though it's not necessarily a part of the bank, the bank's uh, mandate here, I, I do think it's it's a very important discussion point within you know within the bank. So I think that those are all kind of important uh, important variables. Never mind the fact that again, the bank probably you know w- would not want to admit this or talk about it, and, and it didn't when I was uh, when I was at the bank, you know, a decade and a half ago. But the bank doesn't really want to be massively out of step with the Fed. And again, right. that there's there are reasons there. Uh, one I would say would be pr- predominantly the dollar story, yeah. the, the Canadian dollar story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't want to be massively out of line with the Fed hiking cycle. And if the Fed really isn't going until Q1 or Q2 23, um, and, and we'll see if that actually happens. But mid 22 for the bank here is on the on the early side. So we'll, so we shall see. Um, but yeah, so I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that, uh, the markets got, got mid, uh, 22, right. But, uh, it will be, a, it will be an important, uh, part of the dialogue here as we, as we move forward through the, the end of, uh, this year and, and on the, um, on the tapering story, I mean, the bank will, uh, taper at some point from the current 2 billion in purchases a week down to 1 billion a week, I, I suspect, right. uh, in the next month or two, uh, okay. and, and get close to, you know, and, and basically get to the end of uh, providing accommodation via its uh, government uh, bond purchase program, uh, which was the, there were many programs, but the the big uh, the big program, so to speak, uh, back from late Q1 early Q2 uh, last year when things obviously were very very challenging. That's great. Uh, thanks, 
Thanks for uh, your views on both Canada and the U.S. there. Let's turn to China. Uh, it's certainly been a very interesting market. We've we've seen um, the government flex its muscles a little bit, get more involved in regulation on markets, uh, and uh, and some slowdown uh, within the economy as a whole. What's your view on China, uh, and uh, and what do you see that the impacts of the recent, um, I guess, both government changes and and the economic position? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I I would say that um, you know clearly there's been a lot kind of a two pronged approach happening in China, both on the regulatory side and on the monetary side. I mean, on the regulatory side, you know, without getting into everything, everything here. I mean, clearly there's been a focus on um, you know education, uh, technology, uh, commodities, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of areas where uh, the government's tried to. Uh, slow things down uh, a little bit. Uh, some of that, you know, might've been very, very frothy and some of it maybe just more just trying to get things more in line with uh, where the government wants, you know, wants general policy to be uh, on, on the, on the regulatory side. Um, you know, that clearly when that started coming up, what was that now, maybe six or eight weeks ago, uh, had, had a big impact. Uh, you saw equity markets sell off pretty, pretty significantly local equity right. markets sell off. I think I saw this morning that uh, Shanghai, Composite was uh, back to almost, uh, I think, one percent below the uh, hmm. the uh, the recent highs. So a lot of that has kind of come back, uh, come back off. Um, and you know, you kind of have this, uh, you have that approach, which is a little more, you know, a little more, um, you know, kind of uh, removal of accommodation, so to speak. But then you've got, um, I think, the PBOC hinting that uh, there could be a little bit more accommodation and from a monetary perspective going forward. And, you know, we focused there a fair bit, I would say earlier in the summer in, in uh, June, July, it was a bit more of a mixed bag in terms of if the, uh, if the PBOC would um, do much in terms of uh, accommodation this year. And of course there was that surprise triple R cut in July, which, um, right. Maybe it wasn't a, a surprise, surprise, but I would say most people that were expecting a, a cut were expecting a bit more of a targeted cut, which was, which would have been maybe for more of the uh, rural banks um, and, and and that sort of thing. But it was uh, and, and at 25 basis points, but it ended up being 50 basis points and pretty much for all banks. And so it was kind of a, a, a bigger, a bigger injection of accommodation. Um, uh, or a loosening of, of policy conditions, so to speak, I think than uh, than most people expected, and I, I think that the bank, I think the PBOC will continue to be accommodative. Um, it's very tough, kind of getting an idea of when that might be, but I, I do think that something before the end of this month would not surprise, and uh, something before the end of October would would also not surprise. Although not 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 necessarily saying two moves, uh, but you know one one policy action, you know call right. it in the next, uh, you know, 15 to 45 days type thing. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, Chinese growth remains very strong, especially on a, on a relative level globally, for sure. Um, but it's, it's obviously fallen or at least is slowing from its recent peaks. And the Delta variant um, within China, you know, caused a lot of lockdowns that we saw uh, the impact on that, you know, through the, um, through the economy with, um, uh, services um, and uh, you know just uh, gen general lockdowns uh, within the country in terms of in terms of percentage of population, um, and so I think we're going to see the reverberation impact of that. And uh, you know, so that's one of the reasons I think we like um, uh, we like uh, CGBs, uh, Chinese government bonds, 
uh, particularly kind of the five-year space, because we think that uh, I think the bank will probably continue to ease, and uh, and those and those front-end rates might come uh, a little bit a little bit lower here um, for a while. And you know, we of course continue to have pretty pretty sizable CGB positions across our portfolios, not only in the global side. Uh, but also with unconstrained and also hold within our, our core and core plus uh, mandates. And I think we've had, I would say, somewhat of a non-consensus view in terms of uh, uh, the PBOC, the Chinese Central Bank, uh, looking, uh, expecting them to uh, remove accommodation when I think a lot of people thought, you know, one and done uh, at the July 50 basis point uh, move. Right. Um, and I think we're, and, and I think the market is is starting to turn that way. And I would, I would argue maybe even consensus has now shifted to where I would say maybe, maybe base case is that uh, people are expecting more from China central bank PBOC uh, and not less. So I think it's a, I think it's obviously a very interesting uh, story. It's, it's important obviously for China. It's important uh, also, you know, for the region and for, um, and for, and for EM, EMs globally, uh, particularly when you've got some, some uh, diversification uh, in terms of other central banks in the EM space that are hiking, Russia, um, Max, uh, Brazil, um, that continue to be, you know, going the other way. Um, so there, there are interesting plays kind of within the EM space that are, you know, that are happening there. And we, you know, we continue to like, um, you know, we continue to like China as a, as a core holding for, um, uh, our, I would say our, our global portfolios for sure, but also uh, as, uh, as as decent holdings with uh, you know across across all our fixed fixed income portfolio. I think you know we got into the trade originally because the coupon was was great, uh, particularly where <laughs> compared where everybody else was at the time. Right. Uh, but it's much. <laughs> right, yeah, um, you know, well over three percent at the time. Um, I think maybe three twenty or three forty or three fifty. Um, but now I think it's it's clearly also moved into an appreciation play because of the way things have turned in China and the way the PBOC is uh, potentially acting and, and I would say having acted in the last couple of months. So uh, so that's good. So we kind of like it from from both sides. So it's be kind of the asset appreciation side, and obviously we're in at at a level that's quite good. So we're we're very happy to clip that coupon um, and uh, yeah, it continues to be monitored, but it's a very, it's a very interesting story. And uh, I would look for more easing from PBOC in the next, uh, you know, before the end of October anyway. Dustin, that was uh, fantastic. Thanks for your time today and your insights. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Good to be here. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 